ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Six hundred, and I've had to pay another thirty for luggage. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, they they seem to be just charging whatever they want nowadays. I remember in the days, Melbourne, you could almost go to Melbourne, return Adelaide on the cheap flights. You know, seventy, eighty dollar tickets, and now they're about twelve hundred dollars return. Gone are the glory days of air travel. An inquiry into Australian aviation has forensically examined the state of the industry and it has 10 recommendations how to improve the situation. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The following information for Virgin Australia. Amongst those is considering dismantling Qantas. Today in Australia Wide, we look at the state of the aviation industry in Australia. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country, Perth. A Senate inquiry looking into Australia's aviation sector has called for reforms that could include the power to break up the national carrier Qantas in a bid to encourage greater competition. The Select Committee on Commonwealth Bilateral Air Service Agreements handed down its findings last night with 10 key recommendations. Aviation writer and industry expert Geoffrey Thomas has been looking at the report and he joins me now. Now, Geoff, what's your top takeaway from the inquiry findings? Is this reform around breaking Qantas up feasible? Look, look, it's not feasible. Um, I don't quite know where that's come from. Uh, Maybe the thought we need more competition, which really is quite uh, wrong because we've got essentially five airlines in this country. We have Qantas, we have Jetstar, we have Virgin, we have Rex and we have Bonza. And they offer a wide range of of services at different price points right across the spectrum. And uh, I I cannot see uh, any benefit at all in in breaking up Qantas. In fact, it would be a it would be a disaster. So you think that there is enough competition in Australia? I think a lot of people would say, well, if you compare Australia to somewhere like Europe, there's nowhere near enough competition. Well, that's that's a very that's an interesting uh, comparison. The difference is we have 25 million people here. Europe has something like what 500 million, 600 million people. I mean, it's a vastly, vastly different set of scenarios. Same with the United States. The United States has 350 or 60 million people. Um, they've got about five or six major airlines and some smaller ones. For the size of the country, we are very well served. There's no question about that. And I think one of the issues here is that we have to be very careful that we don't make decisions in a knee-jerk way because of the circumstances post-COVID. Now, there's a perception in this country that the the problems that we're having with cancelled flights, lost baggage, high airfares, etc., are peculiar to us. It's global. It's a global problem. It's the same situation everywhere around the world. It's taking the airline industry a lot longer than we expected to get back to normal because of the devastation through COVID. Because during COVID, 46 million people in the aviation and tourism industries lost their jobs, 46 million. And the industry, aviation industry alone lost 300 billion in, in that was losses. That's not revenue, that's losses. So 
it's it's been a very difficult uh, and turbulent time for the aviation industry coming out of this pandemic. So yes, there are high airfares; they're higher than we'd like them to be, but it's global. It's a global situation. Say if we take that that statement that they should look at possibly breaking up Qantas. So mm. say if that actually was to happen, Jeff, if you were to crystal yes. ball gaze that and, and say, right, okay, this is how I think this would work out. Tell me how you think that might work out. The first thing they'd probably do is go back to what we had in the early 1990s, where we had Australian Airlines and Qantas. Australian Airlines was the domestic carrier, the government-owned domestic carrier, and Qantas was the government-owned international carrier. And that, and the two were separate. And one of the calls at the time, it was very, 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 very vocal call, was allow Qantas to fly domestically. We need more competition, you know, because we had a two airline policy of, of uh, Ansett and, and Australian Airlines. So the government, um, after the failure of several deregulated carriers, decided to merge Australian Airlines and Qantas and then privatise it. Um, that was the Keating government uh, in the early 1990s. So I don't believe for one second it should be broken up, but if they did break it up, it would be international and domestic. And then it, all it would do is greatly weaken Qantas. I, I think it would be, it would be a, a, an enormous step backwards um, and, and a tragic, tragic mistake. One of the submissions, it was Dr. Peter Forsyth in his submission to the inquiry. This is what he said. Airlines continually argue that if competition is allowed in a market, they would cease to survive. However, when put to the test, they do survive and sometimes thrive. What do you make of that? Let's, I don't agree with that at all because the casualties, uh, during, for instance, during COVID, over 60 airlines collapsed around the world. The savage competition in the United States has resulted in a host of well-known names disappearing, like Pan American, Transworld Airways, Continental Airlines, Western Airlines. There's over 200 airlines collapsed in the United States after deregulation was introduced in 1979 by the Carter government. And the airlines that survived, Delta, American, United, they've all gone bankrupt. Every major American carrier has gone bankrupt. And what happens there is they then tear up the labour contracts with all their people and they have to accept much lower uh, wages and conditions. We don't want that in this country. The toll on airlines, and the airline industry is the most competitive industry in the world. There's over 1,000 airlines flying around the world today, 1,000 airlines. And the casualty uh, rate on them is extremely high. Let's bring it into a local context. In Western Australia, for instance, just one state of Australia, 50 airlines have gone bankrupt since 1960. To suggest we need more competition um, is just so far off the mark. Um, and and, it, and it's, it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction to, to what we're experiencing at the moment, which is huge, you know, very high interest rates comparatively uh, at, uh, in recent times, uh, 7% inflation, 
um, and a, a chronic shortage of capacity, particularly in the international space. Another another issue that they looked at was, of course, foreign airlines, and there was a lot of coverage around mm. Qatar. But the, one of the recommendations, and I want you to explain this uh, as well, um, mm. was that limited cabotage for, for foreign airlines to regional airports. What does that mean and would it work? Look, yeah. Okay, so what Qatar wants is they want additional services into Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney and and Perth, particularly the three eastern states uh, centres. They can fly to Adelaide anytime they like. They can fly to Canberra anytime they like. They can go to Cairns, Broome, Darwin, you name it. They can go to any of those places if they want to. They don't want to because there's not enough traffic. Uh, they, you know, because of the size of the aeroplanes they use, uh, the sort of demand on those routes for a daily or say you know several times a week, there's not enough not enough demand. And the other issue with Qatar, to, we'll just stick with them for a second, is at the moment they're using uh, A380s on a number of these flights. Now these A380s carry 517 passengers. They don't want to use them. They're only using them as a temporary measure. They want to use smaller aircraft that carry about 360 passengers because they burn about 40% less fuel than an A380 does per passenger. Qatar's authority to this country is per flight, not per passenger. So if they downsize the A380s to these smaller, far more fuel-efficient, economical, ecological airplanes they'll lose those passengers. They can't carry those extra passengers. So a number of those extra flights they want are simply to make up for the fact that they want to pull the A380s off the Australian routes and, and use different sort of aircraft. But the other dynamic is we have a very, very liberal policy when it comes to foreign-owned airlines. And that was introduced when, when Virgin started in the late 1990s. And that is... You can start, an airline like Singapore Airlines, and they've done done it once and failed, can start a domestic carrier in Australia, Tiger Air. That was mm. owned by Singapore Airlines. Now it failed. Now, there's nothing to stop any of these airlines starting a domestic carrier in this country and getting an, an airline operator certificate uh, and, and employing local staff and setting up an operation. But they and don't what, want to. For people listening, though, I mean, most people, the glamour has kind of gone out of, you know, flying, really. I mean, you get your plastic mm. sandwich and it, you don't really get much at all for your money. Mm. But uh, the main thing people are interested in is seeing cheaper airfares, particularly people living That's in right. regional Australia. What will it take to mm. get that to happen? The problem for regional Australia, and this is the problem for regional areas anywhere in the world, you have shorter, typically, not necessarily in Australia, you have typically shorter flights with smaller aeroplanes carrying much f- far fewer people. The costs go up and up. A regional, uh, a regional operation is always more expensive than a long-haul operation. Years ago, we, we had a regular flight from Perth to Rottnest Island off the coast. It's about 20 kilometres from Perth Airport. The price was about $40 one way. It's $2 a kilometre. Now... <laughs> The cost of going to London um, is is about, uh, I think it was about 10 cents a kilometre. So you've got this vast difference because a lot of the costs of an an airline are basic. Whether you go 100 kilometres or 10,000 kilometres, a lot of costs are are basic costs, whether it's uh, landing costs, processing costs with, with, with security, all of those costs are basic. It doesn't matter how far you go. So 
regional short haul flying is always more expensive than is um, than is long haul flying. So they, that, the sort of comparisons that are made uh, are simply not valid. Uh, and look, it's 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 a challenge for regional folks who live in the regions. I used to live in the regions. I know all about it. Mm. Uh, it is it is a challenge, and it's uh, but but different governments around Australia um, have introduced schemes whereby um, you know people in the regions do get um, cheaper airfares. Uh, I know that exists in Western Australia. I don't know about other states. But certainly the Western Australian model, uh, if it hasn't been rolled out, should be rolled out in more states around Australia. What about for people coming to Australia, though? You know, people are often flummoxed by the sheer distance between places. So if you're coming from the US, you think you kind of can you fly into Perth and you might get to Broome easy enough or equally you go to Sydney and you get to the Barrier Reef easily enough and it turns out it's not. Is there any kind of opening or any way that that could be kind of, there used to be um, the equivalent of Euro rail, but in uh, um, aviation style? The US used to have a great system called Visit USAF Air Pass, and I used it many times. It was great. Very, very inexpensive way of getting around the the United States. I think there should be more incentive and possibly government-sponsored for foreign tourists and have a Visit Australia Air Pass and and maybe combine it with New Zealand as well um, to sort of encourage people to, to, to certainly get out to the to the regions or around the country where some of the most beautiful areas are, like Uluru and, and the Barrier Reef and, and the Kimberleys and, and whatnot. Yes, I, I think that would be a terrific uh, thing to do. And, and maybe the governments uh, uh, should do more in that space to, to assist uh, tourism to the regions. Before I let you go, do you think what this inquiry, do you think anything's going to come out of it that will be useful to a traveller? Look, I do think, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of theatre in it. But yes, oh, look, I do. I think it's shone a light. I, I think, you know, we may not get it necessarily get a result immediately, but I certain, certainly think it's shone a light. It's put a lot of pressure on the government. Uh, and I think one of the things that's been missed in the inquiry is, for instance, a lot of international airlines have not come back come back to Australia. And some of the ones that have come back to Australia uh, have only come back in a limited way which is why I support Qatar getting more services to Australia to simply fill the void, if nothing else, um, that, that, uh, that, that airlines have left. Now, if, if, if the situation was pre-COVID and it was situation normal, then I would sort of say, well, Qatar, you, you, you probably want too many extra flights. But now um, the extra flights they want would only go partially the way to replacing the capacity that we have lost. So there's, there's, a, there's a big gap, and that gap's going to stay there for quite a while. We are going to see higher airfares internationally for quite some time. Aviation writer and industry expert Jeffrey Thomas, thanks for talking to Australia Wide. Pleasure. ABC Australia Wide. The situation in Israel may seem worlds away, but so many people have been caught up in some of the deadliest attacks in Israeli-Palestinian history. Kim and Martin Weatherstone live in Geraldton in regional Western Australia and they run study groups in Israel. Since the attacks began, they've been in and out of bomb shelters as they try to get on a flight home. They spoke earlier to Geraldton reporter Jeremy Jones. It's, it was a huge surprise attack over the weekend. It's a, it's a very dire situation, uh, but we have been in a, a safe environment in the, in the old city and, uh, you know, we are... 
uh, our biggest concerns are whether we're going to be able to fly home uh, because a, a, a number of flights have already been cancelled, including one that uh, Kim was on this evening. And uh, we've just, since we've been talking to you, uh, we've, that flight has been cancelled. So we've, we've got to make alternative arrangements for her. And Kim, uh, the news of your flight being cancelled, was that a, a pre-booked flight that you had or was that a flight that you'd booked since the news coming earlier this week? No, it was a. It was made on the second of February this year, so an, an established, confirmed flight. But I'm not surprised because just about every airline has pulled out, and the only safe uh, operating airlines are the Israeli airlines, it seems. But uh, there are there are problems at the airport with uh, missiles and, and and even uh, members of our tour have had to go into bomb shelters. We've been in and out of bomb shelters as well. But we, uh, uh, we've, we've registered with, the, with DFAT through the Australian Consul because there are, there, are, uh, there are two Australian tours here, uh, uh, under Surish Tours, which we run. You know, uh, we've, we've put all our names into the Australian Consul and we have received ad- advocacy from Melissa Price, in, um, in in the Midwest because there are three of us that come from Geraldton. And, and so far, how has the process been to try and secure a return back to Australia? Well, we've, we've had a couple of um, uh, people on our tour that have uh, advocated to um, political politicians like Melissa Price. So at that level, um, you know, people in, uh, in, in uh, places of authority are aware of our situation. On the ground here, we have uh, registered our presence in the land with the Australian consulate, with DFAT, um, and so they have they know we're here. Um, and uh, if I guess if things get worse and we're unable to get any flights home, we would hope that um, they would come to our aid. For instance, we had a couple on our tour that managed to get a an Israeli air flight out this morning, but they got to the airport and they they sent us a photo um, about three quarters of an hour ago to say that they were at the boarding gate, um, and then they Ben Gurion came under attack and they are now or we haven't heard since, but they are they had to go into a bomb shelter at Ben Gurion. In other words, they have not been able to fly, so we have a lot of concerns for. You know, it's not just us, all our, the people that are here. And they, uh, until we hear that they have been cleared to fly, they are sitting in a bomb shelter at Ben Gurion Airport. We have been experiencing sirens. We've got a bomb shelter here at the compound where we've been in and out of over the last few days. Uh, there were shots in the night. Um, there was a... Rockets were um, deactivated by the Iron Dome just about an hour ago here. We, when we were had to go in and out of the, the bomb shelter for a time. It's quiet right at the moment. How are um, Israelis feeling about the attack, where you are at the moment? Well, like, like I said, Jeremy, I think that uh, they're feeling let down and there are going to be a lot of questions to answer after this, in the aftermath of this. But on the, on the whole, uh, they are rallying round uh, against, uh, you know, this this unprovoked attack, you might say. 
Uh, finally, how are your concerns about your safety and getting home? Are, are you confident that you'll be able to get flights? Yes, we. I think we will eventually. I don't know when or um, exactly how we, we, we'll get it done, but the tour company that we with, that we with the people that we know, um, they will help. And as I say, these Israeli airlines are still open to bookings, and they are not going to stop flying and helping tourists leave to go home. Kim and Martin Weatherston, who live in Geraldton in Regional WA, and they were speaking to our reporter, Jeremy Jones. And finally, we're going to head to Tasmania, where habitat loss, climate change and disease has contributed to an increase in the number of threatened species. One of those is the Tasmanian azure kingfisher, which has been listed as endangered since 2001, with no more than 400 birds estimated to be remaining in the wild. Despite these low numbers, it's one of 14 endangered Tasmanian birds without a recovery plan, prompting calls for greater action and protection. Evan Wallace reports from Ulverstone in northern Tasmania. On the banks of the Levin River in northwest Tasmania, an afternoon birdwatching crew sets off to spot one of the state's most dazzling birds. He needs these trees to perch on to hunt for his food, and also he doesn't like the direct sunlight, so it's a good shade. Um, for him as well. Kim Phillips-Haynes has been running her business, Leaven River Cruises, for the past 15 years. The river is one of the main spots where the Tasmanian Azua kingfisher can be readily found in the wild. She's grown concerned that the bird doesn't have the protection it needs. I really think we need to look after the river and the waterways that these birds are in, and it's not just our Leaven River, it's all rivers. The vegetation is so important. Um, They need that vegetation for their shelter and their safety as well as using it for perching on and diving off it to get their food. The bird has been classified as endangered since 2001 and ornithologists such as Mark Holdsworth are concerned that not enough work has been done to monitor and survey the bird's population. So they're right on the edge of survival so it's really important for us to understand a bit more about them and to put as much effort in to protect their existing habitat. He thinks that the plight of the kingfisher is emblematic of the experiences facing other threatened species. With this species, we know very little. Um, we've, we've got a best guess at what their population is, but more work needs to be done. But I'd argue that we don't know a lot about hundreds of other species around Australia. So more effort needs to be put in, more money may, needs to be put into uh, understanding the current situation for a, a lot of species. In a statement from the Department of Natural Resources and Environment Tasmania, a spokesperson said that more monitoring was required to understand the bird's abundance and distribution. Mr Holdsworth says this is a crucial part in future-proofing against a changing climate. With climate change, as we know, we're going to have more frequent fires in the landscape and probably more intensive fires and that there's a risk, a high, very high risk that these fires can encroach on some of their key habitats including the riverine systems and into wet forests um, and this is critical so we could expect that this could uh, encroach on their, their key habitats. The birds are now mostly confined to protected areas along the state's north and west coast. Bird lovers such as Olverston Local and photographer Dean Hon hope that this leads to population numbers stabilising. But it's so hard to pick them and see them. You would think with royal blue and orange that they would stand out, but they blend in. And it's just, yeah, but it, it's it's exhilarating, heart-pumping moment every time I see one. And that joy of seeing your first Tasmanian Azua kingfisher 
it's infectious. And we just happened to, to see the little one land there, and then the next thing you know... There it is. Look. Oh, it goes. In 2012, the Tasmanian government accepted 12 recommendations to reduce the bird's extinction risk, including investigating an insurance population. None of those recommendations have been fully implemented, and the bird still lacks a recovery plan. BirdLife Australia's National Public Affairs Manager, Sean Dooley, is not hopeful that one will be put in place. Unfortunately, the Tasmanian Azure Kingfisher is really at the back of the queue, and it is a queue that's lengthening every year. We have uh, a massive backlog of threatened species that have failed to get the attention that they that, that that's due to them under the under the national and state environment laws that we have because those laws aren't enforced. With much uncertainty and a lack of planning to support the kingfisher's future, bird watchers such as Dean Hon are relishing every opportunity to spend time with Tasmania's blue wonder. And it and they just sit there and look at you, and we just float under them in a tinny. When you get something special with the setting there, you take that and cherish it. It's great. Ulverston local and bird photographer Dean Hone ending that story there from Evan Wallace. And doesn't it sound beautiful where they are? Now that is Australia Wide for this Tuesday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. Speak to you again tomorrow. ABC Listen.